Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. In this discussion with Julie Shane of the National Center on Elder Abuse and Lori Smetanka of Consumer Voice, we'll talk about how many families are finding themselves having to make difficult decisions during the COVID-19 pandemic and how many of these decisions involve substantially changing their own living arrangements. We will examine factors and implications these decisions will have on your family and provide insight on how to plan for these situations and what you should be considering as you move forward. So hi, I'm Lori Smetanka with the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and welcome to today's episode of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. Excuse me. So many families have found themselves making difficult decisions during this COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the decisions have involved substantially changing their own living arrangements, such as adult children moving back home with their aging parents, or I think even vice versa, older adults moving in with their adult children. Um, And in other situations, families have struggled with whether to bring their loved one home from a nursing home. Um, As we know, nursing homes have been particularly vulnerable to the spread of COVID-19, and we've heard numerous concerns from families about um, their loved ones in the facilities and um, their safety there. So today we're going to talk about these issues. The Consumer Voice is a partner with the National Center on Elder Abuse, and we regularly work jointly to raise awareness about elder abuse prevention and on promoting quality for individuals receiving long-term care and services. And together we recently released two new fact sheets that address the issues that we're going to be talking about today keeping family together during COVID-19, a checklist, and should I take my loved one home during the COVID-19 crisis. So our special guest today is Julie Shane. She's the Deputy Director of the National Center on Elder Abuse at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California. Julie is an attorney with a strong background in Medicare advocacy who's now having an impact in the area of elder abuse, where she works to build public awareness by collaborating with experts in the elder abuse field. Julie is an active board member for the National Organization of Victim Assistance and the Reframing Aging National Initiative. Her influence in the aging field has been well documented in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and USA Today, as well as through frequent guest appearances on various other media outlets. So welcome, Julie. We're glad to have you with us today. Thank you, Lori. This is just such a great opportunity. I'm so excited. You you and I have had these wonderful conversations before and share our passion and now to be able to share that with others and get their input will be really a great opportunity. Yes, thank you. Well, we're really glad to be talking about these issues today that we know are so important for a lot of family members and a lot of elder individuals out there right now. So let's start by talking about the new checklist on keeping families together. First, I guess, can you tell us what prompted um, the creation of that? Well, you know, you and I have been doing our respective fields for quite a long time. And in 2008, when we had the housing crisis, I was doing a lot of financial abuse with a financial abuse specialist team. And we saw this rise in elder abuse and it was due to families moving in together. Most often it was a scenario of the older child, you know, the child in their 40s or 50s or 60s who'd lost their job, couldn't afford to pay their mortgage. 
And so move back in with mom or dad and mom and dad are now 70, 80, 90 years old. And on the surface, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot, you know, the surface, it, it, this can work. It can be a good idea. A lot of good things can come of it. Um, and I don't think people went in with the intention of abusing or financially abusing their loved one, but it kind of happens. It happens as a result of non-communication. It happens as a result of resentment. You know, the older child is now doing tasks and helping and they think, well, I should be being paid for this or that sense of entitlement. Um, you know, I, I'll inherit this anyway. That was my favorite. Well, I was going to inherit someday anyway. Like, this doesn't even belong to you yet, but mm-hmm. you're already going into it. And so um, they found themselves having access to ATMs and maybe paying themselves. Or, gee, let's get a quick plain beat on this house now. Um, so we just saw this evolution of, of abuse that sprung out of a situation that who could have anticipated. And now we're seeing the same thing with COVID. People coming back together, not realizing what they're getting into, and maybe getting in over their heads. Uh That was the reason for the checklist on our side, and then we'll be talking about the nursing home side, too. Sure, absolutely. Well, it is important that people think about these issues before coming back together um, as much as they can, And, and so you know, certainly it can be beneficial for everybody to work together to either share expenses or to help each other out. But as you said, it could certainly turn into um, different scenarios if, if people don't plan in advance and, and kind of think through some of the issues even in advance. So as families um, start, you know, having those conversations about whether the adult child is going to move back in with their parents, what are some things that you found that they should be considering? Well, I think it's that whole... Um unspoken expectations you know we come together and at COVID the beginning of COVID you would think well this what how many you know it's gonna last a week two weeks and you know here we are six months later um so really getting those unspoken expectations out from the Mm get-go is so helpful I think on the fact sheet somewhere we say having that awkward conversation in the beginning can really help to you know stem a lot of misunderstandings later on so, you know, sitting down, have, you know, if we're going to do this, um, what should we consider? Um, from simple things like, how are we going to pay for food? Is everybody going to have their own? Um, to the more, the larger considerations of space and errands and maybe access to bank accounts and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that those things are really important to address, um, you know, because in our culture, we're not often used to having multi-generational households anymore, particularly adults living of multi-generations in, in houses. So thinking through some of those issues as you bring different, not only skills, but different resources to the family, you know, thinking how they would be divided up, of course. And, you know, thinking about, you know, needing to um, take care of their own health as they're coming back together. Um, are there things related to physical or emotional health that they need to be thinking about um, as they're, you know, coming into the same household again? Yeah, I think absolutely with the emotional health, you know, um, we need to, you know, this is an anxiety producing situation anyway. And then people are tense and we're trying not to upset the apple cart, but, um, you know, setting up some times when uh, you can have airing of the grievances or you can have that time, um, you know, family that I know does a, they call it a fun day Sunday where they all get together and they make dinner together and, you know, have their different terms, but then they also can bring up their topics that they want to discuss, you know, Hey, the other day when you left the dishes in the sink for, you know, and, and I know those are, those are small things, but they're the small things that build and can cause not only 
uh, it can lead to abusive situations, whether emotional or somebody losing their temper and, and physical abuse. So we want to have those, those safe conversations, um, maybe, you know, just setting up some guidelines. Um, physical space, we all like our physical space. You know, we like to have a place we can call our own, a place where you can shut the door. And if your door is shut, that means... I just need to breathe right now, or I just need this this time alone. Um, and I think that's important. Uh, in some places, people might be sleeping on a couch and not have that luxury of a door. So, you know, having the time, like when I'm sitting on my bed and I have my book open, I just want to read, even if I'm not even reading the book or I just I need this time. So letting people know a little bit about your downtime and your methods um, and with the older adult, you know, what they're used to, you know, if they've been living alone and now there's this confluence of a family coming in, um, you know, how is that changing their schedule and what they're used to doing and being considerate and respectful of that. I think mm -hmm. it's just that opening dialogue to have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, it, you know, kind of what you're also talking about are the setting of boundaries, you know, as well in terms of, you know, having some space for yourself and, and, um, you know, in terms of the communication and how you set those boundaries um, in terms of, you know, what makes sense for you and for the other person and, and how you establish them. So do you have some thoughts about other means of communication that, uh, you know, how you keep those lines of communication in terms of setting boundaries or how people have been doing that? Um, what we've been hearing from people is that, um, you know, you know, they've gotten to a boiling point when they call us at the National Center and, and they're having difficulty um, coping. And we just say, you know, it's, it's not too late. You can, you know, take a breath and kind of phrase it into what you're experiencing at the moment. You know, say, you know, I'm, I'm anxious about this situation. It makes me feel very uncertain. And so when I feel uncertain, sometimes I say things that um, maybe I normally wouldn't say. But, you know, can we take a breath, can we all, um, you know, just have a, have a moment, um, maybe take a walk outside, wear your mask, but, you know, but going out and, um, and breathing and trying to find a little normalcy, I think is, is very helpful. Um, I think those were some of the things, you know, um, we can talk more about getting on some of those slippery slopes of the communications about, you know, finances and things like that. But just in general, I think it's, it's raising about you know, not being accusatory, can you do this? And when, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I am, you know, these, these are things that I'm going through right now. And I'm just trying to let you know about them so that if I am a little off or if I am short tempered or if I am, it's, you know, it's a lot of this underlying anxiety. That's mm -hmm. it, it sounds like, you know, keeping the lines of communication open is really key across all aspects of this, whether it be establishing what each person's role or responsibilities are in the household or the setting of boundaries or even thinking about how you'll work through the issues that arise having that open line of communication really seems to be key in making sure that you find a way to do that yes absolutely that's that's essential and that will lead a little bit to the the checklist that we'll talk about also about you know how, how do you even get started with that conversation so mm -hmm. um, you know so we can we can you know go to that line or, um, and, and just talk a little bit about, uh, because I think that's what people always say to me, you know, well, how do I even start that conversation? 
Um, yeah. How do they start? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. In my family, no matter how old I was when I was talking to my dad, he always thought I was like 12. I, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> graduating from law school and he like turns to my sister and is like, going to be a lawyer, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, yes. so um, which was a whole nother discussion. But um, so it, it's, these are not easy conversations to have. So if we can't, you can have that family meeting ahead of time. And if you can have a family meeting where you bring in the other siblings or have them on the phone, so everybody's transparent and part of the conversation, then you don't have that finger pointing later. Of, I didn't know that was happening. I think she's taking advantage of mom or dad or um, they're, they're sponging off of them. You, know, you hear all these things that go back and forth from misunderstanding. So I think a calling the family meeting, say, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, we're all in this, mom and dad need a uh, little extra assistance. We're unemployed at the moment. Um, this is a great way for us all to come together. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk about, um, do we pay some of the mortgage or the rent? You know, what, what are we going, how do we contribute? How is that going to be, you know, written down? Can we just write it down and each of us sign it that yes, we agree to pay, you know, $500 toward, toward the, the mortgage or rent on um, groceries. Um, is everybody, you know, are we in a situation where everybody just buys their own and everybody, you know, fends for themselves? Or do we have somebody who enjoys cooking who says, you know, I'll take that on. And then, you know, for that, um, you know, perhaps um, I don't have to you know, pay as much for the groceries or because I'll do the cooking preparation, whatever. So um, wherever people's talents are or the person that doesn't mind the grocery shopping, so you want to keep that to a minimum right now, of people going out and being exposed. Um, so th those are just some of those basic chores. And then it, it comes to bill paying. And then we get into the more slippery slope of um, access to bank accounts, um, what is, you know, how much access are you going to allow? Are you going to actually give somebody your ATM code and your number? Um, how can the other uh, family members monitor that, which there are lots of things banks provide that you can see somebody's checking account online if you're given permission and you can question those expenses mm -hmm. that you don't quite understand. Um, and you say, oh yeah, um, you know, we had an emergency, the dishwasher broke, we had to have it repaired this is what happened or the car broke down or, you know, whatever expenses that, you know, people that like to track all that and, and make sure that nothing funny is going on. Um, they can do that. So there are, are ways of doing that without being um, taking control away from the older person. Uh -huh. You know, they all have, we all have the right to make our own decisions and choices. Uh -huh. um, but when it is a situation where it's, it's a relief or it's part of the chores, um, then, Let's just do it in such a way that it's organized. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like having a level of transparency is seems to be what you're saying too. And um, not only between you know the adult child and the parents or the older adult that they're living with, but also with um, you know siblings that may be involved. There might be some, maybe not full transparency, but there might be some levels of it that may need to um, be occurring at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, here in California, the cost for rent is, you know, 2000 3000 a month for mm -hmm. a small place. Um, whereas I grew up in Wisconsin, you know, and when they, you pay how much for that? You know, <laughs> right. yes, that, that is. So clarifying that, that, you know, I'm, I'm not taking advantage of mom and dad. This is how much it costs to live out here. Mm -hmm. It's a lot higher. There's more taxes. Um, clarifying that and just saying, you know, if you want to have a bigger hand in this, or if you want to have more, you know, let's talk about it. But 
let's have an understanding of the big picture of where we are in location and what's what's happening here. Um, and you know, I'm talking about a fairly functional family. We're not even talking about where mom and dad do need help. They need assistance with um, meal preparation, medication management. Um, uh, you know, uh, just going to the doctor, being um, driven places. So that adds all the other layers of, of being that caregiver on, uh -huh. which is um, some people are, do a beautiful job and for some people it's really, really difficult. Uh -huh. um, and so, you know, factoring that into your, your checklist and seeing what, um, what the trade-offs there are can help to ease resentment down the line. Like uh -huh. I'm doing all this and you're not doing anything. Exactly. Exactly. Can you um, tell people uh, the web address that for the National Center on Elder Abuse so folks know how to get the, the checklist? Absolutely. It's ncea.acl.gov.gov. So ncea.acl.gov.gov. And then when you go on the webpage, there'll be a COVID button, a little red button, and you can just press that and it will take you to all of our COVID related materials and both of our fact sheets are right there for people mm -hmm. to actually, the checklists are there, make it easy. Great. Um, yes. But speaking about easy, um, you know, th these are probably some of the easier conversations, but some of the things you're dealing with, Lori, with um, people actually wanting to move their loved ones home and coming mm -hmm. from a really good place and good intentions of moving someone home. Um, to me, I thought that your checklist was really fascinating and you want to you know, explain a little bit about your thinking about when you created that? Sure, absolutely. As you know, COVID started to become more prevalent um, across the country and really started getting into nursing homes. And we saw how quickly it started to spread through nursing homes. Um, the, it's, uh, the population there, um, the residents are very vulnerable um, to COVID. They're very high risk. Um, and we started seeing some really negative effects of obviously the virus going through. Um, so families started questioning whether that was the best place for their loved ones. Um, and then, you know, we saw the lockdowns happen in nursing homes as well, where families were not allowed in. And so, um, so families have been really struggling with whether it was best to bring their loved one home or to have them remain in the long-term care facility. And so um, we, um, we think that, you know, that certainly that's a personal decision, but that there really need to be a lot of considerations that people need to think about um, if they're going to bring their loved one home. Um, and it certainly could be the best decision for everyone involved, but there are some things that they need to think about. And so that's why we pulled together um, this fact sheet. Yeah, and I thought it was so helpful because um, like you at the, at the National Center on Elder Abuse, we get um, people calling us or emailing us for assistance. And I, I sent you an email that just really went to my heart of a woman who couldn't see her mother and said that when people came to the window to, to see her, it agitated her so because she didn't really understand what was happening. Um, so where do you think this works? I mean, when, in what situation would it be advisable for somebody to bring their loved one home, do you think? Well, so, you know, we think that, um, you know, that people need to have a plan in place and they need to be um, talking as best they can with the resident themselves to determine whether it's going to be the best fit for both of them, for the loved one 
you know, to go home. And so um, we think that, you know, the situation can work for families as long as they think through what the issues are that could arise should the loved one come home. So, for example, a few things that we thought about um, that people need to consider is number one, whether the resident wants to leave the facility at all. Um, it's become home for many of them and um, and they, you know, sometimes they don't want to leave um, and then sometimes, you know, they are open to that. So if you can have the conversation with the resident themselves that they absolutely should, should do that. But, but you really do need to have a plan in place if you're going to think about bringing your loved one home. And some of the things you need to think about is whether your house is equipped um, to, for the person to move around um, or to have mobility in the house. So do they need special equipment, for example, like a special bed or a shower chair, or um, can they manage the stairs if they're, or, you know, do you need to help them go up and down if, if bedrooms are upstairs? Is there a place for them to sleep on a first level if stairs aren't manageable? So you need to be thinking about like, you know, maneuvering within the house. Um, <clears throat> Also, we encourage people to think about who's actually going to be providing the care that's needed by the by the loved one. Um, so, you know, when you're in a nursing home, you generally need help with different activities of daily living, including uh, it could be help eating, it could be um, help um, bathing or toileting. Sometimes people need help getting in and out of bed and in and out of chairs. And who's going to be providing that assistance? Are you going to do that yourself? Or is someone in the house going to do that? Or are you going to need to bring in someone from the outside as a caregiver? And then how would you pay for that if you need to bring someone in from the outside? Um, and then what happens if they need more care than you're able to provide? Um, do you need to bring in additional help? Or could they return to the long-term care facility if that's necessary? Um, and also to be thinking about exposure to COVID, even from people living in the household. You know, one of the big reasons, obviously, they want to bring their loved one home is to protect them from the spread of COVID. Um, but we know that in your house, you people can become infected too, as we all are starting to go back out into communities, and particularly as communities are opening up. Um, so you need to think about how to protect yourselves and each other. So those are a few of the things that we um, have been recommending. Those are all great. So if I'm going to the facility and I'm going to take my loved one out, what questions should I ask the facility? You know, what information should I get from them before I consider doing this? Yeah, I, I think it's important to have the conversation with the facility that you're thinking about taking your loved one home or, or that's the plan that you want to do that. And certainly, you know, people ask, well, can I um, take my loved one home? And, and the answer is, well, sure. I mean, the resident is not a prisoner in the facility. Um, they have the right to leave. And so, um, but, you know, certainly you want to make sure that you're well equipped to care for them um, at home. But, but do talk to the facility about the ability of the resident to return at some point in the future, if that's something that you'll be desiring. As you mentioned, um, you know, some people initially, I think, thought either they might move back in with their parents for just a couple weeks, or they might bring their loved one home from a nursing home for, you know, just a couple weeks. But this COVID crisis has been going on for months now. We're going on six months that we've all been having to adjust our way of life. And, um, and so this could be a long, longer term process. And you need to think about what that means, both for you at home, as well as for the ability of a person to return to a long term care facility. Some of the things we um, think they also need to be talking about is what to do with the person's belongings. Should you completely empty out their room? 
Um, and most of the time you might need to do that um, because they're not going to just hold a bed um, without any sort of payment. So an option, you know, would be if you wanted to reserve the bed, is there an option to do that? And, and that might include needing to pay for it, which could get very expensive. Um, and now if the person's care is covered by Medicaid, many states have what they call a bed hold policy where they Medicaid will pay for a certain number of days. It's usually not very long though. It's usually only either a few days or a few weeks. It depends on the state. Um, but Medicaid will pay to hold a bed for a certain period of time. So you need to know if that exists in your state and what that option is for you as well. And the facility should be able to tell you um, a little bit more about that. But then what happens if you're going to be gone longer than a bed hold policy, for example? Would you have to pay privately or would you again have to move the belongings home? So talking about you know payment that might be required if you want to reserve the bed what to do with belongings are are certainly important um, and then you know if the individual wants to return to the facility what would be the process for that um, would they need to go through another application process or could they just decide that they want to return and does that involve also dealing with um, Medicare or Medicaid payments depending on what's available you know people really need to be thinking about what those options are as well yeah, I think that the whole Medicare, Medicaid issue is people have such misconceptions about mm -hmm. what's covered and what's not. And they think, oh, it's, it'll be covered. But when you move the person home, um, there are going to be other costs. That, you know, if they need a hospital bed and will Medicare cover for one, you know, so all those considerations. Um, and then, you know, what other costs do you think that people might incur that they're not really thinking about? Sure. Well, you're right. There might be costs for special equipment if you need it at home. And um, so, but it is possible that Medicare and Medicaid may cover that. Um, certainly, you know, talk to your plan advisors on whether that is possible. Um, if you need to bring in caregiving help, um, thinking through what the costs of that might be. Um, if you're going to be providing the caregiving for the most part, you're going to need some breaks at some point too. So who can help you with that? Could other family members or friends step in? Or might you want to hire a caregiver to provide some respite care um, for yourself? Because you also are going to want a little bit of a break to help take care of yourself while you're home too. And just to think about um, the effects on household expenses. Um, also, if you're bringing you know, additional food, additional additional, you know, electricity or water or things like that, while those costs may be negligible, um, they are something that people just need, just need to take into account as they're um, thinking about other people coming to live into the household. Yeah, I think um, our caregivers are definitely our heroes out there and people, mm -hmm. people don't really think about the emotional portion of being, uh, you know, the child now turned into the caregiver role. Um, so what are some of the emotional um, you know, little sand traps that somebody can fall into in a, in a caregiving situation. Mm -hmm. Well, caregiving um, is a full-time job. Um, it, it can be very challenging. Um, you really have to be in tune with the person that you're providing care for and meeting their needs when they need them. Um, and so, you know, that may be an adjustment to your schedule. And so that's why, you know, we talk about making sure you put in time to have additional supports available as well, either from other family members or from friends or even hired caregivers so that you can also be taking care of yourself. Um, and, you know, I think residents and families, as they think about bringing the loved one home, again, it could be a great option. It's a, it could be a good opportunity for them to, you know, be supporting each other and, and living together. Again, um, 
I would suggest that people think about what led them to make their decision to, um, for the individual to go into the nursing home to begin with. Were there particular challenges that were, you were faced with at that time? For example, job schedules or finances in terms of the bringing, um, getting the care that the person needed um, in terms of affording that or, um, or were there other issues that needed to be addressed? And so think about how you might address those um, before you bring the loved one home in case that there are those challenges that still may exist. Um, you know, I think that there's not a right answer for every family, but, and it, but it could work for every family, but you should have a plan in place before you just go, you know, charging in on your white horse to say you want to take your loved one home. Think about what your plan is going to be and put that into place because oftentimes you are really dealing with someone who needs um, some significant care, um, particularly if they have um, high care needs, um, if they are in the later stages of dementia, that has proven to be difficult for some family members um, in terms of providing caregiving. And so look at what supports you need and um, look at the resources that might be available to you in your community. Um, but it could work as a good, a good option for everyone. Yeah, and I, and I think those resources, you know, you and I know that they're out there and there's some amazing things and working with people like Adult Protective Services and the Long-Term Care Ombudsman, there, there is help out there. And I think that's what we want people to know. And also under this time of COVID, you and I had a discussion about there are some, you know, spending this intergenerational time with a loved one can be really special uh -huh. and learning more about them, um, having a time to have a conversation or just sitting with them quietly. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to be gained here too. So I, as difficult as it can be, and we want to make it easier for you with these tools that we've created and checklists to kind of, again, be that conversation starter. Uh -huh. Hey, look what I found on this, on this website. I think right. we should, you know, let's just walk through this and see where we stand. I think it can be that, um, no, it's never simple, but I think it can, you know, it can take on that lighter tone of, you know, let's, you know, it's a good, smart thing for us to do to have these conversations and, and to want to enjoy this time with your loved one as much as you can. Um, you know, families are, it's hard, um, but uh -huh. if it's in a caregiving situation, we want people to, you know, have the tools they need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, whether you're bringing your loved one home from the nursing home um, or the adult child is moving back home with their parents, I, I think that some of the same, um, same things apply with respect to being um, open with communication, um, having transparency, making sure that you're each sharing your needs, taking care of yourselves, um, and again, having a plan for how things are going to work. Um, when all of you are living in the house together. And I think the tools that we've released address um, a lot of those issues. Um, so for folks that are listening today, we, uh, the both tools are available not only on the Consumer Voices website, and that's at www.theconsumervoice.org, but they're also available on the National Center on Elder Abuse website. And Julie, if you give that link one more time as well. Yes, so it's www.nca acl.gov mm -hmm. great thank you and thanks julie for taking the time today to talk about this new tool and always a pleasure to talk with you yes i loved it i hope i hope people really do go and use these tools or, or and give us feedback they you know hey this really helped us to have the conversation or let's didn't do a thing we want you to hear your suggestions we are always open to suggestions. Lori and I are always tweaking things and working on things um, to make them practical for you. Because I think 
we get a lot of overwhelming information right now. Right. And we wanted some bite-sized pieces of hopefully helpful practical information for you. So I always love working glory and consumer voice and the ombudsman and um, together, you know, we're here for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, we have worked for a long time together, Julie and I, at Consumer Voice in the National Center on Elder Abuse. And so just want to put a plug in for um, a, a discussion we'll be having next week with Eden um, Ruiz Lopez from your office, where we will be talking about um, what to look for to get good care. Um, in a long-term care facility. And that's also based on a joint resource that we did a couple of years ago, which we'll be sending more information out about too. So just wanted to put a plug in for that for our folks. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much, Julie. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Thanks to those of you who have been listening in um, this afternoon. Again, you can get more information as well as the recordings for this on our website at www.theconsumervoice.org, um, or you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud, um, and we will be making the links available online as well. So that will be our program for today. And Julie, thanks so much. Have a good rest of the day, everyone. Thank you, Lori. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. (laughs) 